Well, welcome back to another Alan Smithy podcast here on Pro Video Coalition. We are here with Katie and Michael once again on, uh, we are recording this on Vision Pro release day. And this is the Vision Pro episode of the Alan Smithy podcast because we all three of us have Vision Pros, right? <laughs> I've got two. One for each eye? One for each room. <laughs> I, mean, I don't have a vision pro. Do either one of you? No, have I, a I don't. no we don't. No. No. We're not well, all right. That, this it's been a great chat with you guys. We'll see you next uh, <laughs> next month on. No, we, we do have some thoughts on the Vision Pro, and I thought kind of it's it's an important thing, and I've it's been interesting to read people's thoughts and watch some videos, and I do know one person who says they bought one, but I haven't talked to them yet. Um, I can't wait to go try it out. But before we talk Vision Pro, let's. There was there any news from the last month? I mean, it was January. Nothing happens in January. I don't think. Well, CES happens in January. I think there's a, not a ton of stuff to talk about with CES. But one of the things that I thought was kind of interesting was that there was a few kind of low tech things coming into CES that with kind of the big sellers like the Rabbit. There's a clicks phone attachment turning your iPhone into a BlackBerry. Oh, you know, I, I think there's some interesting stuff there just in that the trend towards things being a bit more real for people is quite typical of the psychology around a lot of things. It's hard to know what's real in media and technology. So there's interest. It's an interesting thing there. And the other, the other thing that I thought was interesting is, of course, the LG transparent TV. It's been around for a minute um, in some circles in terms of like there being some sort of test units out there. But really, you know, seeing the transparent TV, I, I actually think that's important, not because people are going to put it in their apartments, but because, again, it's an indicator of that trend towards in-car. You know, in-car entertainment is really where everything's going right now it's a very important thing and seeing the transparent tv shows again that we're almost sort of towards there being this idea that the the windscreen of your car can turn into a movie theater you know that's really in-car entertainment is a big thing that's coming and i think the transparent tv from lg is an indicator more of that I can't think of a worse idea than having your windshield be a movie screen. Because, it's not you know, your driving, Scott. You have to drive on the... I, I think cars should not even have screens at all. You should make you focus on the road. Yeah, no, Scott. You know it, the, the, it's it's for when you're it's for when you're charging. So for with uh, electric cars, they can take a little minute to to, oh. and so they can take a minute to fill up. Uh, to charge, sorry. <laughs> Especially in the cold, cold weather. Apparently, <laughs> and, after the yeah. zero degree charging. And so there's an opportunity there for entertainment companies to, you know, give you something to kind of do while you're charging your car. And so uh, I think a lot of entertainment companies are working with car companies, you know, to, to kind of link those two things together. So we've always, you know, looked at what, what do you do with your kids at the back of the car, right? When they're sitting in the back seat, what do you do with your kids? Um, that's kind of been around for a minute, but you know, now we're really looking at, okay, so you've got a captive audience there for like a good half hour while you're charging your car on a long road trip. What are you going to do there? And then it also is an indicator of the sense that a lot of car companies are confident about self-driving vehicle technology coming through. And then again, what do you do? If you're not driving a car, you don't have to look at the road. We've got an opportunity to uh, entertain people and, and capture some eyeballs. So, it's all kind of converging in that, um, and we see lots of little tiny bits of technology coming out the the little out of the woodwork that indicate that trend towards in car entertainment. I've been waiting for Night Rider for forty years, man. Hell oh, yeah, Night Rider. Yeah, Knight Rider. 
I mean, I, I th- that is some good points there. I think that the big car convergence is a lot further off than we think. You see oh. the cars manufacturers pulling back from electrics, the, the big electric plans they had because people, they're still hot, but people aren't, people have cooled on electric cars. Um, I would love to have an electric car because I have a, you know, just for the commute and then have my fast gas car alongside it. But, I, you know, this idea that um, we're all going to be in electrics and all going to be self-driving, I think is is way further out than the original predictions were. I think there's also some hesitation because we're now seeing the advent uh, of the potential of hydrogen pushing cars as well. And although that technology is even farther off, uh, no one wants to go all in on electric when that may be the intermediary thing or the thing that we like to say here, the thing before the thing. Yeah. But you, but you say that like you see Ford in Tennessee is building Blue Oval City, which was like like one of the largest construction projects in the world, I think, for their next generation electric stuff. But, you know, they've pulled back on a lot of that because it, it's just it's not panning out. I think like they hope there's a there's a giant battery plant just north of the Tennessee border in Kentucky. You drive by that. The construction of that thing is insane what they're doing there. But, you know, the reports I'm seeing is that it's just not I, I don't know, you know. We'll 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 say I think you know TBD on the. Um, I mean, we could we could geek out about the, about battery technology for a long time, but that's not really what this podcast is about. But that's what true. the electric car thing is about. It's about this battery technology. But um, yeah, there, what else? What else have we got in the, in the news right now? Well, we did uh, briefly, we can touch on Avid. Uh, obviously, right. as, as everyone knows that uh, Avid has a new, I don't want to say sugar daddy, but they've gone private, <laughs> private equity with STG, Symphony Technology Group, which closed at the end of last year. And of course, those who are Avid aficionados probably like the fact that the word symphony is in the sugar daddy's name. <laughs> oh um, and it didn't get a lot of press, but shortly after the first of the year, there were layoffs. And of course, cool. whenever there's private equity, you don't want to shoot down. I don't want to say all private equity means layoffs, but there's obviously going to be some consolidation uh, and some sharpening of the pencil, uh, trimming of the fat, whatever euphemism you want to use. Uh, But there were some layoffs. Uh, And then as it's come out uh, in the past week, is that an affiliate of STG, which uh, let's just call it what it is, it's STG, has acquired Media Valet, which is a asset management solution. They push to be a, a enterprise asset management solution. It looks a lot really for agencies as well for 80 million. And without naming names, this is something I've been pushing for the past couple of years, which is Avid needs to have some kind of more pedestrian asset management system than their Media Central play. I knew there was going to be some kind of asset management acquisition, especially since Adobe acquired uh, Frame, which isn't quite an asset management solution, but it's a, a review and a proven sharing technology. And we I knew, we knew it was going to happen. And so I'm excited to see this. The The interesting thing is, is that I was not aware of Media Valley. I'd heard the name, but I don't know anyone in our space that actually uses it. I've never even heard uh, the name. Yeah, I thought that was very interesting. Uh, if you take a look at the financials, they haven't done really well lately, so that kind of might have made them very attractive uh, to be acquired. But it'll be interesting to see how this is being positioned, especially since STG, um, Avid isn't their only focus, right? They've got a lot of other business units and companies, especially in broadcasts. It'll be interesting to see how this kind of plays out and, and where STG sees this as falling in with their portfolio. And yes, I'm going to use the, a phrase that we should never use, how there is synergy between uh <laughs> Yeah, I had to get that in there. The synergy between the Media Valet and their other affiliates and companies. I thought you were going to call it a game changer. <laughs> no, 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 no. I've I've retired that phrase. Hey, we could circle back on that. 
<laughs> disruptive technologies. There that's another one that's like, you know what, that should be dead and buried at this point. You know what, I think this year, look, consolidation is so hot right now. Layoffs are so hot right now. But those things tend to go hand in hand because when you consolidate, you end up doubling up on things. Um, and also, I think there's a lot of you know shifts in priorities, you know, in terms of looking what what's next, looking forward rather than looking back. And we're seeing a lot of layoffs in a lot of tech companies and a lot of media companies. It's it's really unfortunate uh, for those impacted. It is definitely what's happening right now. It's definitely the big trend, and I think we're going to continue seeing it through this year. Um, and I think we're going to see it on a bigger scale with some of the big Bigger companies as well, um, so it's going to be it's going to be interesting. We do have some good news though. Uh, if, if we look at a lot of the layoffs, a lot of them have been because there's been a shift at several companies to hey, let's focus on AI and ML and not some of these other business units. But there's been some good news, and this is you know the altruistic tech side of me wants to look at you know how uh, companies could be a shining example of how AI could be implemented and not a replace. Uh, live talent. And and one of those is that SAG-AFTRA has partnered with uh, Replica Studios to enable AI partnerships with voice actors. So there's compensation if the likeness of these voice actors are utilized. And there's now a contract that's been signed and, and everyone agrees to it. And this, I think, is a, is a, maybe not a blueprint, but a signal that there is middle ground to be had, that there is a path forward for folks who are voice actors when their likeness is being used. But that said, Michael, there has been precedent in the past with that, uh, with some of the studios, and that is also kind of enshrined in contracts uh, with SAG, with previous contracts. But one of the things that I thought was quite interesting about that announcement is that it's very unusual that a union would be the one to put out a press release about a, a special agreement with a single vendor. And I was a little bit, I don't know, it seemed a little odd. And I think the, I'm usually the optimist here and a lot of optimists are uh, sort of saying, well, no, they're just showing there's an example that it can be done and, and we're, we're happy we want to work with, with industry. But it was interesting that they were kind of almost suggesting that you have to work with this one vendor because this is the one that, that, we, that we've rubber stamped. And I don't know, I thought it was a little... Oh. I didn't. I didn't take that at all. I mean, I I totally get the concept of wow, it's coming from uh, the union yeah. and not from. But I also get the well, who's going to get more press, right? A, a, right, a single true. company or the union. Uh, but true. I didn't pick up on on that vibe at all. I, I kind of felt like it was someone shooting a flare gun, and it was, hey, huh? here we are. This can be done. That's how I interpret it. But you know, of course, uh, each outlet that covers this is going to have their own spin to it. It's not like me to be dark, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> spin. No, no one puts spin on anything. Come on, these days. All right. Hey, look. Should we move on to the real news? Let's move on to the real news. Today we are recording on Friday, February second, and it is the day that the Apple stores are being rushed uh, because the Vision Pro has dropped. So if you pre-ordered it, it's getting delivered today. Uh, or you can pick it up from the Apple Store today. And I think a lot of folks, I wanted to talk about this because a lot of folks are, uh, around us are kind of looking at it and going, so what? It's another VR headset, like, okay. Um, but I think there's some actually interesting trends and indicators around it. And I think that there are some things that, some reasons to pay attention for those of us in the tech side of m and So 
All right. So, Scott, I'm actually most interested about what your take is right now. Well, uh, I do can't wait to to play with one. I honestly haven't done a lot of VR stuff in my life because it kind of it, it doesn't make me sick and queasy. But like, I'm probably one of the few that you know can't do them for long periods of time. We don't own one. I've got a couple of friends with them. Um, I, I find it interesting all the talk of VR because correct me if my terminology is wrong. I think of like the Meta Quest is a VR because I have a neighbor with one of those. I put that thing on sometimes and you are then immersed in a video game, in a room, in a world where I'm not seeing anything around me except for what is in those goggles. But everything I'm seeing out of the Vision Pro for the most part, you are still part of the room. I mean, you can kind of like, you know, fold in sort of everything around you where you're immersed only in whatever the screen is of the Vision Pro. But for the most part, it's the idea that you are still part of the room and you're augmenting it. So that would be AR versus VR. So is it seems to me that the Vision Pro is not a VR headset. Right. So it can be. You're right. Like it can immerse you completely in an environment. This is technically what we call XR, which is kind of the new way of saying AR, really. Okay. Um, extended reality. So this one is more like the Quest 3, which allows you to kind of turn up or down uh, how much of your real world you want to see and how much you don't want to see. Um, depending on the app that you're in, this might be totally AR or XR. It might be a little thing that's added to your own environment, or it might be fully VR if you're in some sort of game where you want to be fully immersed. Gotcha. Well, the you know part of the uh, Vision Pro is supplementing the Apple world that every Vision Pro owner is already in, where you can take you know a couple of apps and put it on the left, put a couple of apps on the right, put your your monitor or your movie right in front of you. Can the Vision Quest, uh, or is that the right the, the Vision, the Vision Quest? What, or no, what I call it? Jam, damn Vision. it! I don't even know what these things are called. The Quest Three Vision Quest. Yeah, no. The can Vision the Quest Three do that type of thing? Wow. Like, can it? Yes. Can you take your PC and sort of and compute inside it, or is it all self-contained with its own apps inside it? If that makes any sense whatsoever. So, Scott, what you're asking is, are you running apps on the headset or is it just a is it just viewing the apps that are running on your local computer? Yeah, because it almost feels like that when you put the quest on, you have to load up a game, an app or whatever that is all self-contained part of the part of the quest This is a quest app. Whereas the Vision Pro, it's like, oh, I can throw my my iPad app up there. I can throw my monitor up there at the same time I'm doing a, uh, you know, Vision Pro native app. As well, so it feels like they're very. The, well, you, you throw them both on your head, but they're very different. But that's because you're within the app, the Apple environment, right? So is this bad? Is it is this a bad thing? <laughs> no, no. It's just okay. that a lot of your productivity and everyday apps are within the Apple environment. So you know they were they are within the App Store. There's a new OS for the Vision Pro, right? And some of the or many of the Apple and it's moving more and more towards that. The Apple apps have been put into this OS environment or enabled in this OS environment. Well, here's what I wonder is I see people do, and I searched the other day for like, um, you know, there was some early reviewers and I searched for like, uh, you know, Final Cut Pro, Vision Pro or Premiere Pro, Vision Pro, just to see what popped Mm -hmm. up. And I did see a couple of reviewers that brought Final Cut Pro up 
Mm-hmm. And uh, one that brought Premiere Pro up, and I was kind of cool. watching because you can see the output of you know you can capture the output of the Vision Pro, which is what the mm-hmm. reviewers are doing. And there was Final Cut and Premiere Pro right front and center, and then these little apps on either side. But as I watched, especially the Premiere Pro, I thought to myself, "Why would I ever want to do that in <laughs> the in the Vision Pro when I've got right. two giant monitors right here on my desktop? I, I it, it see I can see no benefit of." an app like that in the Vision Pro, but maybe that's not what it's really meant to be. It's just a exactly. big close and monitor. I, I, so I think there's a couple of things to note here. First of all, I think what is interesting about this, be, beyond a lot of the other things that we've seen out there on the market and previously beyond VR, um, is first of all is that XR and AR is far more likely to be of interest to most people than VR. Like you said, how you you know you 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 get sick, you don't like it. I'm one of those people too. I'm not a big fan of VR personally, but I've always thought AR is is definitely something that is more of interest to to people to more people, right? Whereas VR is quite niche. A lot of gamers are into it. AR is a lot more accessible. So this is what we're calling XR, and this is sort of, like I said, the thing after the thing, right? The, the idea of spatial computing is something that Apple has sort of dropped with the Vision Pro. It said Vision Pro is the, is the new thing. This is spatial computing is the new thing. Now, spatial computing is sort of what they're calling this environment and how you might use it. But I think what's interesting is going to be how people actually end up using it once it's in the, in the hands of the masses. And I think this is where it gets interesting for all of us because we can, like you say, you can sit there and you can pull up your desktop on this and go, cool, but is it $3,500 cool? Right. Like, sure, I could spend that on a really awesome monitor. And I think what's going to be really interesting for us is looking at what are the trends towards that we can see what are the indicators of trends that might happen with what people might look at using this for, right? And what can it enable that couldn't happen very well before as well? So, you know, what what is something that is going to compel people to spend a whole lot of money and strap a thing to their face that is going to, that's going to make them think, hell yeah, that is absolutely worth it. And then if you think about that, and uh, you can go, okay, well, then what are the indicators of how that will impact us as content creators, right? As, as those who are actually right. involved in that. Well, and so, that thing doesn't exist right now. The thing that will make a strap, the masses strap something to their face, that killer app, if you will, right. doesn't exist. It kind of does and it kind of doesn't, right? So my big call on this, uh, and a lot of people have been asking me, like, like you know, where are we at in terms of the media and entertainment work? Uh, you know, where is the work, right? Where is the work going to be? Um, because we're seeing sort of a pulling back in features and pulling back in, in scripted entertainment. What's, what is going to be where the work is? And I think we've seen a number of indicators from a number of different places over the last few months that indicate that sports is going to be enormous. It's going to really blow up. We've seen uh, some of the big studios doing acquisitions, like even Netflix acquiring um, the wrestling. We're also seeing a lot more investment in sports entertainment. And then the other thing is that something like the Vision Pro, it, it enables some really interesting viewing of sports that haven't been done before that I think will compel people to, to use it. Mm. The NBA, for example, has actually been capturing games in a sort of a spatial volumetric capture for decades, 
now. Actually, I think about 20 years. And so they've actually been doing volumetric captures and it's been very niche. You've actually, there's like been a small sort of VR uh, app that you can get to watch them on. Um, but what it means is that there's actually a library of NBA games that are all captured volumetrically that someone could build a, a platform for the Vision Pro and you could essentially have it sitting on your on your table in front of you, or you could literally go to that game and be in the front row or on the court or on the hoop and watch some of the great NBA games from the last couple of decades. Those things, I think, are really compelling. Another thing that has been really big in the past year has actually been people experiencing live entertainment, especially post-COVID. People have really been investing in live entertainment, not just sports, but also in concerts. And with volumetric capture and this ability to kind of really be immersed in, in that, I would sort of say to you, like, if you think about it this way, what people pay to go to a Taylor Swift concert, right, this year, it, people really are going to great lengths to see Taylor Swift live. Now, how much would they pay if they were to see, if they were to go to that concert and be in the front row? There's travel, accommodation, time off work, the cost of tickets. And really, there might be 100 seats in the front row to any Taylor Swift concert. So it's very limited in terms of that, in terms of monetization. And the cost is enormously high and far, far higher than most people could afford. So if I said to you, you know, you might not be a big fan of Taylor Swift, but please imagine that you are. Um, I, I, I edited two Taylor Swift music videos in my there life. There you go. So okay. I'm, so I'm a big fan, actually. Would you pay... $100 to be at the front row of a Taylor Swift concert? Well, of course, yes. Okay. If you ever think you could get a $100 front row ticket, well, what but you if, could what on if, a headset. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, well, you know, there's if, monetization if you, opportunities for the there's monetization opportunities for the studios there. There's monetization opportunities and there's opportunities for people to say, look, I it might be $1,000, it might be $5,000 to be in the front row of the Grand Prix or the NBA game, it might be $10,000 for that. I would never afford it, but I would pay $100 to do that in a headset. Absolutely. There's monetization, there's accessibility, and there's a compelling yeah. reason to put something on your face. I mean, if you wonder what's going to make a red-blooded American male pay $3,000 for some you know, experience, it's going to be you know, how, how, to, how to get on the front row of the Super Bowl. Absolutely. Right, right Michael? You're, you're, you're going to go buy one for that reason. <laughs> well, I, the thing I wanted to point out is, is uh, Katie's completely spot on, but the, the ROI and the monetization on not only let's take this event and recreate it and let someone see it or someone watch it live is, hey, let's take a DJ right? And have them come into a studio and have them shot volumetrically and then have it as a live concert. So it doesn't have to be just a, here's what someone is doing at this arena. It's, I'm going to do an intimate show, right? That the general public doesn't see. There is, I mean, Meta has been doing that with, what do they call it? Meta Spaces, I think. Yeah. A company called Supersphere has been doing this for the past, what, six or seven years now. So it's, it's a proven model. How many people are watching concerts through the superspheres, like is that, is that go to the MetaQuest or like what? How do you watch something? You need a headset. You definitely need a headset. And of course, when you know seven years ago, um, there were less headsets. <laughs> they were more expensive. It really comes down to uh, what the expected rate of return is for how many people actually have these. Yeah. Uh, but it was a good proving ground, and and it does work. People will pay for it. Well, so I get this I, idea I think, that. Sorry. Well, 
No, it's okay. Like this idea that like I, I do love what you're saying there. Like this is a fantastic idea of a next level entertainment experience you can never get watching a flat screen. I I, lo- I love that. Um, will there be a time when or w- will all these headsets like be able to take a common format like something that Super Super Sphere shoots? You know, can it can it go into the Quest and the Vision Pro and like whatever you know Samsung's going to make and whatever. You know, we get to that point where it's that ubiquitous? I think what we're doing is we are looking at that. I think that's something that in the media tech space, those of us in the tech side of it who actually it's our problem to deal with it are very much uh, working together to try and find these common formats. So Apple has released a camera. Uh, It's a 180-degree camera that really they want people to use to shoot for the Vision Pro. You know, but I think in terms of more of the nitty-gritty in terms of file formats and exchange formats and mezzanine file formats and things like that, Michael's getting all excited about codecs. I I think that, and I do strongly believe that that is something that um, is going to be consistent. I think that the companies that have the headsets don't want it to be consistent. But to be honest, the people that make the content want to monetize that content easily. They want to monetize it across multiple headsets. And so I, I don't think that that's going to be an issue. It's not solved right now, but I think it will be solved very, very soon. Is that a VHS versus Betamax, Blu-ray versus HD DVD? Are we, are we heading for that? Sort of I think we're heading war. to it. We're trying to avoid that. I think that's the thing. Many of us have lived through those things and don't want them again. Um, and I think we have a lot more control now uh, over those things. Michael, what do you think? To the whole monetization part, you know, every time there's a new format, there's a re-release, right? Whether it was SD to HD, whether it was HD to 4K, whether it was SDR to HDR. And now we're seeing, uh, to Katie's point, things that were already captured volumetrically or things that were shot on a green screen, hey, let's now put that into a VR or AR environment and then sell it again as another experience. It's the same concept, but now they're on a different stage. Now they're in a different country. Now we're using AI for a different language. So it's being able to remonetize these old assets, excuse me, uh, not new assets that our folks are looking for (laughs) just to get some money from their back catalog. Right. And one of the things that we're seeing is that today, for example, on day one of the Vision Pro, Disney Plus is integrated. It's not the most exciting and creative use of the Vision Pro. It's it's backgrounds and environments that you can view things in. You can see content on a flat screen TV in your room, or you can watch it in 3D. That is definitely something that we will see more of as it gets more, the creative side of things gets uh, gets more integrated. Now, that's what I think is really interesting because we can talk about sports and stuff. It's kind of the obvious answer, right? The obvious mm-hmm. thing is sports. The less obvious thing is what's going to happen to all of the other kind of content when we get into these XR environments. So I think what, a couple of things that I've thought about, I've thought about this a lot, um, is that I think we are going to see a demand for shorter and shorter form content. Now, we've seen that a little bit. Everyone's going, oh, my God, our movies are too long for a long time. I think that people are really looking for those 22-minute long episodes, those slightly shorter movies. And wearing something on your face is not the most comfortable. And until we have regular-looking glasses, you know, a really lightweight thing, uh, which is some time away because you've got to get the computer in there, I, I think people are going to be looking for shorter experiences and shorter-form content. So, so Quibi is coming back. <laughs> I think Quibi was ahead of its time, to be honest. But I, I do think that we're going to see, you know, people wanting to see slightly shorter content. 
But also, you know, one of the things that we don't have on day one of the Vision Pro is really using it in a new way to have new kinds of content. The one thing that I will say is that, you know, I've always subscribed to to the quote that uh, is from like 1985, but I think it's the most salient today. If you really want to think about the future of television, you've got to stop thinking of television as television and the same with film. I think we need to start thinking of our content as passive or active from the from the viewers, from the audience's perspective. Is it passive or active? And do does the audience want to be sit back and be entertained or be participatory in that entertainment? And and so stop thinking of all movies are, are rectangles or you know, sit in a rectangular and you know, sort of environment, you know, all of that kind of thing. Now we saw a little bit of that. There was a, there was a film that came out at Sundance that was sort of, you know, it was a horror film from the perspective of the ghost. I think there's a little bit of that kind of coming. But unfortunately, I think that because of the way Apple released the Vision Pro, they kept it very secret and they only gave it to kind of the big movie directors and the studios who frankly are some of the least creative people in the business. Um, we're, we're sort of the first content we're going to see is like, oh, here's a movie that you can stick on your wall. That's not very creative. I really, really look forward to seeing what people do when they actually get out of that box, stop thinking of it as movies and TV shows and start thinking of them as passive experiences or active experiences. You know, when you said that passive and active, I was actually thinking about in a sense now, a lot of us are um, doing active entertainment in a sense because we have our phones in front of us as we watch a lot with sporting events. Because it's it's so fun to watch a live sporting event because sporting events are good when you have to watch them on delay. And to interact on Twitter, on Facebook, on you know whatever thing you want to with what's going on. But we see that sometimes happen with award shows a lot. We see it happen sometimes with you know, I think there are probably movies that sort of like people, you know, what was the share play thing that I think Apple or Netflix or somebody has where you can communically watch a movie? Like that's a bit of, of active entertainment. I don't know if you get as much out of the movie, but you certainly may enjoy a bad movie a lot more. Sure. But you think about even, think about a drama, think about a narrative drama, but where, you know, the main character comes and sits on the couch next to you. Like, you know, those kind of things are, you can have the same kind of storytelling, but you can get a little more creative about the environment. And and rather than looking at a box, looking at it inside a box, you can it's, it's in the room with you. Um, to be honest, I think horror is, is where there's the most opportunity yeah. to do exciting things. Horror is already doing the most exciting things, to be honest. In and horror our, fans... In- Horror fans are the ones that would go for that really Absolutely. Big you know, my, my friend who's a big horror fan, I'm personally not, but my friend who's a big horror fan was telling me about a film he watched recently where all you see on screen is what can be seen from a torchlight for the entire movie. It's all dark and there's just a torchlight in front of you and you can only see what the torch, what, what you can see through the torchlight. That kind of stuff is so interesting and creative in terms of doing something new with the format, playing with the format, not thinking of films as films, but thinking of them as experiences that move you. And I think we really, you know, as we start getting back into that, we're going to start seeing people getting excited about it again. We're going to see people actually wanting to engage with content again. Um, when we start remembering that it's all about the audience's experience, then we're not, we shouldn't be storytelling, storytelling at people as much as we should be, you know, trying to engage audiences and again, passively or actively. So I think there's an 
opportunity there. I'm really excited to see what people do with it now that it's in the hands of more of the public. I think that's when you really start seeing the creative stuff come out of the woodwork. Katie, what do you think the tipping point is? And let me elaborate what I mean by it. There are a lot of caveats, right? And Mm -hmm. some may say, hey, you're just a pessimist. But, you know, there's the price tag. There's obviously, hey, if you wear glasses, you're kind of screwed. You have to get, uh, uh, I believe, special lenses that then have to be put mm-hmm. into the Vision Pro. You know, there's things like if you're wearing makeup, that may get smeared. If you're wearing it, you know, your your hair is going to get messed up. So uh, yeah. what, what do you think the tipping point is going to be for kind of a wider adoption? Totally. So obviously the Vision Pro that came out today is not the thing. It's the thing that gets us to the thing. Someone was saying it was like the iPod before the iPhone right? It's, it, it wasn't quite the thing. But I don't think this is the thing. I mean, th- this is really, this is still kind of a dev model, right? This one, they had to build whole factories just to build each individual part custom just for this thing. Like, it's not the thing. It's not the thing for the mass market. But it's the thing that allows us to start figuring out what we're going to do with it. And people are going to start building apps. People are going to start building content. And I think by version three, we're going to start seeing what the thing's going to look like. So already this one does solve some of the problems you were talking about, Michael, that, that VR had and that previous headsets had. I think I've mentioned this before. My, my law of future adoption that I subscribe to is the ABC, right? It's got to be accessible, better, and collaborative. Now, this allows you to be collaborative. You can share an experience with somebody else. It is more accessible <laughs> than most VR headsets or head, uh, AI headsets we've seen before. And and people tend to say that, that it, is, it is a better viewing experience. It is people are mostly in all the reviews you see and all the people have, who we've spoken to, they say that it is really an incredible experience in terms of the fidelity, uh, the comfort of, you know, of looking at it. Now, in terms of the glasses, yes, so for each Vision Pro, it does register your eye, your iris, and that that can uh, register your settings. That can unlock the thing for you, and it's supposed to be one headset per person. I think that will change, but you have these little lenses that you buy when you buy the headset, and what it does is that you register your vision to six feet in front of you. So whatever you need to see well six feet in front of you, that's the lens you get, and that and you just pop them in. They're very easy to pop in and out. So you will have your lens that you pop into your Vision Pro that allows you to see perfectly six feet in front of you. I don't think that that's particularly problematic. I think the prices on all of these things will come down and you only need to buy them once anyway. You know, at least you don't have to wear your glasses. You know, you'll be able to see perfectly in the Vision Pro with your lenses. So that definitely takes away the problem that a lot of folks have had previously with headsets. I think that the weight of it is is not terrible in this case. But again, I believe that in by version three, that's going to be, change significantly. I think that's the thing that they're going to solve. And that's a big thing that, that a lot of folks are reporting that after a half an hour, it starts feeling a little heavy. And the battery doesn't last all that long either. I think they're going to solve for the battery pack too. Uh, it's kind of large and unwieldy. Um, I think they need to solve for that too. So there's a few little things there that, I, like I said, I, I really think that those those things are going to be solved pretty easily around the accessibility. And, and once those things are solved, that's the tipping point. I think the price, uh, once they're able to mass make them, 
you know, the early phones were, early iPhones were hugely expensive as well and very fragile, just like this. This is a very fragile device as well. So I think once they can bring the price down to something that is really in line with other VR headsets and phones, you know, $1,500 or, you know, is probably what people spend on these things and bring the weight down and bring the battery down uh, a little bit, then I think we're going to start seeing it being as, as ubiquitous as, as phones were early on. It's funny you mentioned the early iPhone, and that made me remember. Um, I was, uh, you know, been in the Mac camp forever, but I did not get the first generation. I mean, at some point I got the first generation iPhone, but when it came out, I did not think anything about getting it, even though I had Macs and iPods mm-hmm. and everything like that. I had a wonderful little Samsung phone that I could T9 on it like crazy. You know, it was a wonderful experience, but it wasn't mm-hmm. until I. A buddy brought his iPhone over and I held it in my hand and started playing with it. And I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. This is a better experience. This is what the future is going to be. And I wonder, I'm very skeptical that if I put on the Vision Pro that I'm going to have that same feeling as when I held that first iPhone. I don't know if that's because I've had on a Quest and don't particularly like it or what, but you know, I, I don't know. That just that just made me think of that when you mentioned the early iPhones. I still go back to the fact that you got to put this thing on your head, and it's always going to be a niche product because you've got to put this big thing on your head. But will it ever get to where it's in? You know, we're all three wearing glasses. Will mm-hmm. it ever shrink down to that size? You think and do as much? I think so, yes. I, I, I do. I, I think that's the last thing that everyone wants to sell for. And and if you look at the likes of CES, I mean, for the last five years, we've seen AR glasses coming out, even contact lenses, AR contact lenses. I think that, that really the, the final bastion of solving this thing is really going to be the sort of invisible device. I don't think that strapping something to your face is going to be the thing. I, yeah. It is, but it is the thing that gets us to the thing. I, I really do believe that. But the thing that gets us to the thing is moving to spatial computing, moving away from the box and the screen, and, and the the interactivity of it as well. The new gest, the way that people gesture is very natural. You know, a lot of people certainly most of the reviews. I think pretty much across the board say the same thing. The viewing, the, the the fidelity in the viewing environment is so much better than anything else. It doesn't make you feel ill. And the interactivity and gesturing is phenomenal. So I think that is definitely an indicator that we have a very new thing We have a very new thing on the market that solved a lot of the problems that we had with the predecessors, which were sort of more the VR headset-y thing. And then the last thing that they need to overcome is the headset itself, which I do believe is going to go away. I just don't think it's going to go away in the next five years, but I think Mm. it's going to go away probably shortly after that. Um, That's really, that's, you know, it's really about the fact that the spatial computing is what's going to change the game. I know that we've had, you know, decades of people working in front of computer screens all day, every day. And that's sort of changed, you know, perhaps the evolution of our postures, you know, I know there are eye problems that develop from that. And I wonder if, uh, you know, the Vision Pro, you're in it for two or three hours and you take it off, you know, two or three hours max. But if we come to a world where we have these things in our glasses and we're constantly looking at these little screens on our glasses, you know, what is that going to do to you know, 10 years of that to your eyesight and to our physical being. I think about to, um, mm-hmm. do you remember the jerk with uh, Steve Martin and they mm-hmm. invented that yeah. the right. thing you, you grab your glasses with? Yeah. yeah. Grab. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, was that was that a um, you know you know sort of telegraphing what's going to happen in the future with these things? Or that's a very legitimate concern. Um, <laughs> Michael's crossing his eyes like a. He is. Um, <laughs> Look, that's a really legitimate see. concern that people are having. You've you've actually got a full like HDR screen, like a few in, you know, an inch from your eyeball, and I and that's certainly a legitimate concern that people have. What's that actually going to do to your eyes? And if you think about the research that's happened on glaucoma and on, on short sightedness and all of these things in the last few years, it's really been like we really need to like look far, look close, look far, look close. And so it's not necessarily going to bode well for your eyesight. But again, I think that's something that, you know, like phones, phones are not great for us either. No, um, no. But I think we are going to find a way around that. I really do think that's that's something, like I said, that the, 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 the strapping something to your face is not the thing, but it is the thing that will get us to the thing. I'm excited about what that's going to be. I can't say what it is, but I certainly think that, that we do have have something uh, on our hands that is going to change things for all of us that work in media and entertainment. Well, I think that uh, it'll be fun to see, you know, what what happens and how this technology moves along. And um, perhaps whoever, the three of us, the first one to use the Vision Pro at some point in the future, we can talk a little bit more once we've actually experienced it for ourselves. So is the Vision Pro one cool thing? Is there one cool thing this week? I didn't I didn't pick it because we were going to talk about it anyway. I have two cool things. And one of my cool things is Michael Cummins's latest five things episode. Uh, um, AI. But not go. the AI like you're like you may be thinking. Oh, thank you, Katie. Yeah, I released a new Five Things episode last week, and it's – I'm sure all of us have seen the infinite Twitter th- uh, threads uh, – excuse me, the th- – I don't want to say threads on X – because Threads is a platform, <laughs> oh but <laughs> there, there's oh, these, this, this new video AI tool is going to replace video editors, and it's people who are not in our industry spelling the demise of the talent in our industry. Folks who don't understand our industry are condemning it. So one of the things that uh, I wanted to come up with was an episode on AI with tools that were applicable for folks in post-production. So I went through and I kind of cherry picked the ones that I've worked with, I like, and that are applicable for post-production. And so this latest episode is uh, AI tools for post-production that you probably haven't heard of. And they primarily focus on analytical AI. Uh, you know, Gen AI is the is the big hot thing right now, which is, you know, uh, text to image, image to video, Im- uh, text to video. But what about tools that can look at your video and say someone's happy, they're sitting in Egypt, they're drinking a, a can of soda, they're talking about this concept. How can we go through all our footage and find those moments? And those are the tools I kind of focused on. So I encourage anyone to go to fivethingsseries.com and check it out because it's just for us post people. And thank you, Katie. Um, I also have a second cool thing, just, just to be that person. I'm usually very good at following the rules, but my second cool thing is actually- No, you're not. Following <laughs> the rules. Come on. <laughs> My second cool thing is actually the Arc browser. It's very, very cool. I've just started to play with it. Um, Bunshin, my wife, has been trying to push me to play with it for some time. She's really obsessed. But I'm actually, I'm pretty into it. It is the browser that browses for you. And it's super clever. So essentially, what it does is it kind of does the search for you. It uses AI. 
it summarizes that and gives you back a, a web page that kind of has everything you want already in it. Um, it does a bunch of really clever things. The second generation of Arc is just coming out. It does a lot more. It might say, hey, where can I get a reservation tonight at a place that does Thai food near me? And it will not only find you that, it'll also see which ones have reservations available, automatically give you a button that links you to Resi and lets you make that reservation. So you don't have to kind of click through things. There's no ads. It takes away the ads. It takes away the SEO garbage. It takes away all of that. And it kind of finds you all the all the things. The other thing that's really cool is you can uh, look up something like Vision Pro Reviews and it will immediately create you a folder within your browser that has a bunch, it has five or 10 Vision Pro reviews that you can just go straight to that page and there it is. Um, it's it's pretty neat. It does a bunch of really smart things. It kind of gets rid of a lot of the clicking around and scrolling down and searching for things. It will immediately just bring up in your browser the video of something as opposed to you having to kind of click through, go to YouTube, watch an ad, do the thing. And so it's it's neat. It's really neat. I'm getting, I'm quite excited about playing around with it. You know, it's cool to not have all the ads too. Yeah. it's uh, I downloaded the first uh, generation of it. I think it was at some point last year and it, and I, and I didn't find any advantage over my traditional browser, but this new version that I'm seeing, it looks yeah. like it, they did some really cool, smart stuff. So I'm going to mm-hmm. uh, give it a try. Um, I'll go next and we'll let Michael wrap his one cool thing. So my one cool thing is uh, filmpinsociety.com. And I can't believe I never knew this existed. Oh, I, I have so I many of those. I have so many. They are so, imagine like <laughs> enamel lapel pins with um, everything you can imagine from uh, filmmaking, from like uh, cinematography, grip, electric, production, post. Um, and I saw our friend uh, May Manning in Atlanta posted a, a tweet about it in, in uh, December. And, I, and it was a progress bar, like an avid progress bar. And I was like, mm-hmm. what is this thing? And I went to it and, and there's like a premier toolbar and like color bars and just what a c- clever, fun, little goofy thing. So filmpinsociety.com and you can buy whatever collection you want from whatever um, your favorite filmmaking. And there's more than just pins too. So just browse it. Filmpinsociety.com. Love it. Well, I'll wrap out with something that I think is fantastic for the industry and I think has a little bit of a story behind it. So uh, forgive me for, for giving some backstory. If you've ever done production work, and you've been a set decorator or production design, a lot of times when you're in a lawyer's office or uh, when you're in a library or whatnot, where do they get all those books, right? Is that something you just keep somewhere and you you have a locker somewhere? Or, you know, how was that done? How could it be safe? You know what? You're putting books on a 16 feet up in the air on a full library. That doesn't work. So 20 years or so ago, uh, Mark Meyer started the full library in LA. And it's now ballooned to an 89,000 square foot warehouse that has faux books, fake books that are hollowed out and you can either store things in them or it's just a facade. So it makes these books that are very lightweight, but you can use as the background in your shots. And they also have books that have been cleared legally. Because as you know, if you try and put someone's book that hasn't been cleared and it appears in the shot, you may be liable to pay some money for that. They also have in this warehouse, not just books, but set deck for different types of libraries or offices. They have desks and art deco and things like that. And obviously, as you can imagine, during the pandemic, uh, production grinded to a halt. And so business really dried up. Now the landlord is saying, look, hey, 
bro. You have this space and all this stuff. You, you got to pay. So they're really on hard times. And they were going to close after 20 plus years, almost 25 years at the end of last year. Uh, there have been a lot of people who have gone there and spent money. I know I'm uh, building a set right now and I went there and spent a, a good part of a paycheck getting some of the stuff there. And so I encourage anyone who is local or anyone who needs faux books or set deck or even just odd tchotchkes to put in your office to go here. It's in North Hollywood. It's really easy to find. It's faux library. I highly recommend anyone in the greater LA area just to go there, check out some things and help out kind of an institution uh, here in LA. That is so cool. And I can see, I can see Scott with the FOMO right now. He's getting, he's looking up plane tickets to LA. He's, he's, he's all about it. <laughs> no, it, it it sounds really like it'd be a fun thing to check out. So yeah, please uh, and and help them. You know, hope we don't want it to die. Like this is a great idea. Like you don't want they don't want these things to go to the trash heap. So that's um yeah, thanks for that, Mike. We'll put links in the show notes to all these things, and um we'll throw a few of our uh, favorite reviews for the uh, Vision Pro in the show notes as well. And until we all you know, get our own vision pros. We'll, um, we'll see you next time, but probably without vision pros would, would be my <laughs> guess. So, um, thanks everybody for joining us. Michael, Katie, we'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Thank you.